Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock episode number 66 for Sunday, November 22nd, 2020. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I am Captain Sabriel Maston. And wow, these upgrades are not working on my system. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you did have a, a bit of a refit getting your audio ready for the show. I'm sorry it didn't go smoothly. No, I had to go to the backup backup. Oh no. <laughs> Well, you know, we called in some additional help to help us troubleshoot all these issues. And it's not just any Starfleet member. We've actually recruited the floating head of God from the end of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Please join <laughs> me in welcoming Dana Ross. Hi, Dana. Hi, it's great to be here. And I hope I can use my godlike powers to to fix your engineering issues. Uh, well, what, well, what I'm wondering is, what does God need with a podcast? <laughs> Just trying to get the good word out there. <laughs> well, we will carry your wisdom as far as it, the airwaves will take it. So, Dana, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, let's see. I'm I'm Dana Ross, uh, C64 on Twitter, C-S-I-X-T-Y, and then the number four. Why? Because that used to be my license plate, and it had to end in a, in a digit. Um Let's see. I've known Ken for quite a while now. Um, I'm a vintage computer collector. And uh, let's see, I work in, I volunteer in animal rescue. I work in web development. And I am a lifelong Star Trek fan, almost literally. I used to watch the TOS reruns with my dad on, on UHF TV back in the 80s. And wow, then I was those old scientists. That was great. <laughs> exactly. And um, I, I watched uh, TNG when it first premiered, that first episode, Encounter at Farpoint. And I was so excited and so young. And it's, it's just been a part of my life ever since. So those were your first Star Treks. What's your favorite Star Trek? Ooh. It changes so often. <laughs> Um, I would say probably my favorite. Uh, my favorite Star Trek is the Orville. <laughs> Sing. And, and, you know, I, I say that half jokingly because it, it takes all of the best parts of Trek and kind of condenses them into one one show one episode with with just two seasons of the orville we've gotten so many of the big themes that you see throughout star trek through the 50 years of star trek's history and with some humor thrown in in along with it and i think it's it's a wonderful encapsulation of what star trek is and a wonderful encapsulation of what it is to be a star trek fan mm. i remember you were ahead of me when i finally started watching the orville and there were some decisions made in the first season that I was really surprised by. And you said, keep watching because they all keep coming back to those same things. And I'm not that I was deterred from watching the show, but I'm really glad I stuck with it because it really is at times quite fascinating. Yeah. And I think being outside the Star Trek universe and outside the established canon and the rules of the Federation and being their own kind of thing 
they they get to explore some of these topics in a little more depth. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's really interesting. It's it's so much Star Trek, except it isn't, and <laughs> and and it's even direct. So many episodes directed by Jonathan Frakes. I don't know if you've noticed that, and yeah. it's <laughs> and so many of the Star Trek actors are are involved, and it's it's just so wonderful. It's it's fun. It's it's uh, you know. I can we we had this discussion when Lower Decks started too. It's it's weird when Trek makes fun of itself because it's taken itself so seriously. And sometimes you need someone to to kind of take the piss. And it's wonderful we have shows like Lower Decks and Orville that can do that and Trek just keeps on being Trek. Or main mainstream yeah. Trek. Well, I mean, even mainstream track has changed a lot. Discovery is very different from the shows that have come before. Picard was very different from TNG. And as you just noted, Lower Decks is unlike anything that's come before, including the animated series. So I don't know if they took a, a cue from, and that's C-U-E, not the letter Q. <laughs> if they took a cue from the Orville, but I think Star Trek is flexing its wings as well. So we are here, though, to talk about Star Trek, not... The Orville, or my favorite Star Trek movie, Galaxy Quest. We're here to talk about Discovery, Season 3, Episode 6, Scavengers, which just premiered this past week. And this is, as I just mentioned, the sixth episode. So we're now in the back half of the third season. The brief TLDR is that... What's her name? Burnham <laughs> escapes from Federation HQ to go rescue Book. She takes Georgiou with her. They rescue Book, who has found a black box from a Starfleet ship that exploded when the burn happened. And there are all sorts of repercussions that we experience as a result of these decisions and discoveries. So what are some of the things, uh, let's start with you, Dana, that you found most notable in this episode? We don't necessarily need to go in chronological order. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm, I'm, you, <laughs> uh, let's say it starts with a cat. I yes. think that, <laughs> that that just sold me right away. I love Grudge. I want Grudge to get her own series. If if Picard can have his own series, Grudge can have her own series. <laughs> her adventures with the Discovery crew on her own ship. Like what happened between when that ship left and when it reached Federation headquarters? We don't know. Maybe Grudge had all sorts of adventures. <laughs> I'm wanting to find out that. Grudge is not just a cat, kind of like in Captain Marvel. Yes, I've been waiting for that. I've been so waiting for that. Me too. Something always seems different. Well, there's a lot of this season that always something feels off. Yeah. Although this is the first time we've seen a cat since probably Spot on TNG. We don't have a lot of pets. Archer had Porthos and Picard had Livingston. And that's pretty much it. So to know that they still have pets on starships a thousand years after that is very encouraging for me. <laughs> Although I do have to wonder, how did Book know where to send his ship? Because when he and Burnham parted ways on Earth, they had not yet gone to Trill to get the memories they needed to find Federation HQ. Clearly, if Book had known Federation HQ's location before they parted ways, he would have just told her. So I suspect that not shown in this episode or previous ones at some point burnham must have communicated the book and said here's where we're going i noted that as weird as well because when the hail comes in 
Um, Lieutenant Willow, one of the future security gal, she said, no one gets here unless they know where they're going. And if it happened off screen, sure. But otherwise, this kind of has implications that while Michael can, or let's say they can, part of the reason they found Book is because uh, Book has a tracker on Grudge. And Michael reversed reversed the polarity and had us you can have a track book. Maybe Book and Michael also have some kind of trackers, or at least he has a tracker on her something. How did basically how did he know where to send the ship, bro? How hmm. the ship know where to go? I would hope that since we were surprised by that, somebody on the Discovery would be as well, and Burnham, if she has a tracker, would know about it at least. Because that's a really creepy thing to do for your girlfriend. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of girlfriend, we finally saw the uh, we in the turbo lift book and Michael finally express their true feelings for each other in this episode, which Brie, you and I had talked about, will they, won't they? And I was kind of hoping that they wouldn't. I saw it coming. It happen. <laughs> so Dana, were you surprised by this? Were you happy about this? I was not surprised in it by the least. I can't say I'm thrilled. No, Um I like seeing working relationships between men and women that don't necessarily turn into romances. And I think, um, I think it's great that, you know, they're, they're expressing, you know, interest in each other. And I, I love that exchange uh, with um, Joju and Mike, Michael on the ship, you know, I don't love here anymore. Um, <laughs> that was really a cute slip of the tongue, but um yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily necessary either. And that's just TV in general, right? Every, every, everybody has to get coupled up. You know, I, I don't know. It just seems unnecessary. I mean, we know from season one that she had never been in love before at that point. And then she had a disastrous relationship with a Klingon who tried to kill her. I, haven't we all? Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just part of the growth experience. You all learn from it. And I was hoping that she wouldn't immediately fall in love with the first future, futuristic guy she literally crashes into. But, you know, I, I do like the scenes on the ship with Georgiou, as you were discussing. I thought Michael's having a much friendlier relationship with Georgiou on that topic than normally. Like, let's just go rescue Book before I push you out of an airlock. You know, usually they're so much more dramatic with each other. And you could see Michael smiling even as she said that. Uh, she does. Um, and this episode was pretty big for Jojo, Jojo, even if we still have no clue what's going on. Yeah, I'm really curious about what we we know something is going on with Jojo. But what? I thought maybe she was replaced with a hologram. So I started checking if she was blinking during that scene where she's talking to Michael. And um, who's the actress? Michelle Yeoh, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, she she blinks like once or twice in the scene. So I'm like, okay, she's not a hologram, but <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah. She starts having flashbacks. looks like they show the Terran empire symbol for a moment. And then throughout the episode, she's um, sitting over someone named son who's been stabbed and she's very uh, caught off guard by this. And by the end um, the episode here, Michael it's like, what is going on with you? Because, you know, during their scuffle with um, Dweeb Nephew, um, you know, she freezes up, which is definitely not Giorgio. And when Michael calls her on it, uh, Giorgio said, I don't know what it is. It's been getting worse for weeks. 
And Michael, she actually lets Michael touch her for a moment before she turns back into normal Giorgio and just start dressing her down. Although this did start happening after they arrived at Starfleet headquarters. So Mm -hmm. I suspect that Glasses guy, with everything he knows about the mirror universe, must have something to do with this. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, Just what? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, at least we know why she was ignoring Michael at the end of last week. We have clarity on that now. We know what is happening to her. We just don't know why. That's something that Discovery is very good at. It's just giving you small pieces of the puzzle as you move forward. And there's a lot of pieces to a lot of puzzles going on right now, right? We have Detmer, who we didn't even hear anything about her you know, mental health concerns this, this episode, um, although they played such a prominent part for a couple episodes there. Um, what else? We've got this song that uh, was brought up last episode and, and that thread's still hanging out there. I'm really curious to see, you know, kind of, kind of like with the red angel, I'm kind of curious to see how they wrap all this up. Yeah. And they are doing a good job of putting some characters on the side while they focus on others. Like this week, we hardly saw any of Culber or Detmer, as you just noted, but missing last week was Adira. And she's back this week. We got to see more of that character. But, you know, we did see Detmer for a second. You know what? I'm kind of with Detmer. Like, do we need all these upgrades? Because, like, something still feels weird. I don't, I can't put my tongue, or, like, tongue on. I can't place it exactly. But I, I don't distrust this future Federation. But something feels off still. And this scene helped encapsulate that more with her feeling of it. I just can't. I wish I knew what. I don't think Detmer has let go of the past yet, and that's she's re- very resistant to change, whether that is to her con or just acknowledging the era that she's in. Oh, yeah. As far as I, maybe because I brought her name up, is uh, tied it too closely to her. I'm just getting the same feeling of something more is going on. Like, I didn't trust all the upgrades. And I don't know if it's just because I'm so skeptical now of anything or what, but I didn't. I was like with her. I agree. <laughs> And Dana, I understand that your professional background gave you some insight into these new interfaces. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where these user interfaces are cool and they make for good TV um, with the programmable matter and Owo touching her console and the things lifting out of it. But after the movie Minority Report came out, people were talking about user interfaces that have kind of this 3D aspect to them or that you need to lift your arms to work with. And they're just not that usable in the long term. There's actually been research showing that a nice, normal two-dimensional interface is the way to go. For example, if you have to lift your arms up to steer the ship that's really going to start hurting after about 20 minutes. So what do they do then? Um, And it just, um, I know that's the direction Trek wants to go now. We've seen it in the Kelvin universe. We're seeing it now in Discovery, but um, there's something to be said for the good old fashioned, you know, TOS era, flip switches and uh, little crystal button things. Um, But even a good old fashioned L cars is a lot more usable than something like this. I was feeling the exact same way. I was like, this would be very inconvenient. Um, but also, like, 
Now the actors, even just thinking of production standpoint, the actors just have to stand there and wave their hands in the air, and then someone has to go and add CG to it later. I mean, they're just making more work for themselves. Although it's less work now for Stamets because he got those implants removed and they have a, a a new interface for the spore drive. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It has a GUI interface now. Aww. Speaking of usability, yeah, um, that looked pretty cool. Um, I loved how quickly he turned around on all that once he saw that the interface was going to work and it was a little more comfortable for him and he got to take the the things out of his arms. That was really cool. I think Culber was really happy to see him without things in his arms. It seems like this is not a full-on replacement for him as the sole pilot, but it at least gives him more comfort about being that interface. Yeah. And who knows, maybe it does open the door to someone else stepping into that role too. You never know. And speaking of Culber being happy about that, we were very happy to see that they have, Stamets and Culber have, matching Starfleet pajamas. I want those pajamas. (laughs) Those are awesome with the Delta shield on them. I immediately went to shop.startrek.com to see if they had those pajamas, and they do not. I have other Starfleet pajamas in my own personal wardrobe, but they're not Discovery model. You know, I don't have much more Star Trek wear other than the disco t-shirt. I'm glad you made that exception. Right. (laughs) I guess I I do have my captain's uh, TNG dress. Command dress. I just got the new Glad uh, transgender Delta logo shirt. I'm really excited about that. It just arrived yesterday. I haven't had a chance to wear it yet. That's very cool. I also wear my disco shirt, Brie, usually when I am watching Star Trek. I also have a Pride uh, Starfleet logo shirt, and I have a red polo shirt with the Starfleet logo where you would normally tap it. So I am a red shirt when I wear those. (laughs) And almost every time I wear any one of them to one of my customer calls, the customers immediately know what it is. And they're like, oh, I love your shirt. Nice. Yeah. So CBS, if you're listening, we need the pajamas. <laughs> it's true. It's getting Trump's very bottom. cold here in Boston. We need the pajamas. It's even getting chilly here in Bend, Oregon, where I'm moving tomorrow to Portland, Oregon. And I'm always hearing how cold it is in Fargo. Well, I wasn't going to say anything today. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make it any less true. It's true. Uh, back to Paul. Um, this episode, we saw some big growth for him. Uh, he, someone was touching his baby, the spore drive, and he did not go very angry mode, uh, clean <laughs> up it. Um, yeah. Just a few weeks ago, he was telling Tilly, stay out of my way. Don't waste my time. And now he's seen how Adira has gone out of their way to upgrade it. And he's like, oh, this is nice. Maybe because it was already too late. It was already done. You know, I'm sure if, if, if Adira had gone to Samus and said, hey, I'd like to make this upgrade. He probably would have said, like, don't waste my time or something. You're only 16. You don't know what you're doing. This is a one of a kind. Don't screw with it up. Oh, that's totally Stamets right there. You're totally channeling him. <laughs> <laughs> but to add to like more of that, like, I think he's just really, he's really gelling with Adira. And uh, the scene at the end of the episode was also fun where he saw her, them, I wish they would finally pulled the cat out of the bag on that one in Star Trek. I thought it was going to happen this episode, but Adira was talking to Gray. Uh, and Paul saw that and was like, hey, what's going on? 
Darren's like, you wouldn't believe me? And he's like, oh, yeah, I will. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's had the exact same experience talking to someone who's dead. And also, after that debriefing scene last week, we are reminded just how beyond the normal <laughs> Discovery's missions are. So why shouldn't something be possible? <laughs> I do love Gray, both the character and the actor, and seeing them show up, is, even though... Gray's not alive anymore. I, I I love the opportunity to see that character again. Yes, I was so worried Gray was going to be. Discovery loves to do this thing where they they focus on a character for a little bit and kill them off right in in the same episode where you're supposed to start caring about them. We we saw that with Arium, um, or to an extent with Nan. She didn't die, but she kind of flew off after having no real character development. Just boom, one episode, we get a whole like, you know, her experience with her her race and and going off to to join Starfleet and all that. And then it's like, goodbye. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was worried Gray was going to be the same way. And I'm so glad to see him coming back and, and repeatedly. And there was another character we thought we might get to know and then get killed off in this episode. And they survived, the Andorian. I'm sorry, what was their name? Rin. Yeah, Rin. I I noticed that you commented on Rin in our notes, Bree. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Just, oh, I commented that hey, Rin's still alive, and now we have a new friend. <laughs> yeah, Ken. Yeah, I, I think you're talking about maybe my note that um, Rin was uh, played by Mary Weissman's real life husband, uh, oh, and he that's is a right. lifelong Trekkie, which I thought was pretty cool. He posted a video on Twitter today of pictures of him as a young man at cons uh, dressed up in cosplay posing for pictures with the actors. And it's so cool to have kind of like we talked about with the Orville. It's so cool to have a Trek fan in the cast. And it seems like so much of the discovery cast are Trek fans and it's wonderful. They're, they're bringing that love to it and it, it shows through in every episode. If- Did you see that Paul Stamets, the actor, started a D&D game among the the actors? No. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I think our our friend of the show, Susan, had tweeted, I could not possibly love Star Trek uh, Discovery more. <laughs> and then Paul Stamets, hold my beer. Ken, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you should put the link that Dana had shared because um, it's pretty cool and there's some pictures from Star Trek Las Vegas. Uh, here's some of the Klingons I met when I was there. Oh, uh, nothing to really see now, but uh, just like takes me back. Like I really miss Star Trek Las Vegas. Did you ever get to go to that event, Dana? Um, I didn't know. Oh, um, I'm saying the wrong thing. I mean, oh, Star Trek experience. The experience. Yes, I was there once um, oh. as a newlywed. Um, it wasn't our honeymoon, but it was fairly early in our marriage, and it was a blast. Um, and my favorite memory for that was in the, I think, Borg Invasion it was, whatever they had there, the ride experience mm-hmm. thing. I was getting out of the shuttlecraft, and I noticed a display on the wall running Windows 3.1. <laughs> so Starfleet runs on Windows, I guess. Well, we know they have SQL still, so hey, it makes sense. Oh, that's right. That's how control is an SQL injection. <laughs> Ridiculous. Now, just to clarify, Dana, was that a Starfleet display or a Borg display running Windows? <laughs> that was a Starfleet display. 
Oh, that's too bad. I, I would have believed it if it was the Borg. But oh, now now it's not 1996. We can't make Bill Gates Borg jokes anymore. <laughs> I know we have to make Bill Gates curing malaria jokes, and it's just not the same. So we met Rin on the planet. There were some other cool characters there. And we also got to see Book and all these workers. We don't know why they are like permanently the property of Osira, but we see them with these implants on the back of their neck. And I guess when they leave, when they cross the perimeter fence, it causes their heads to explode, which is one of the most graphic things I've seen on Star Trek. Uh, this is the second most for me. The other one was Echeb on Picard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and also, of course, the TNG episode Conspiracy, where somebody else's head explodes. <laughs> but Did we learn anything about the Emerald Chain or Osira in this episode? Well, we learned Osira, period, I think. I think that's what this, this was where the name first came up. Isn't it? Well, the first time I've heard of it that I remember. Osira had a memory alpha entry prior to this week. Huh. I can't tell you exactly where or why that came up before, but... Oh, it was last episode. Oh, Vance mentioned the name, but it was just that. The name and Emerald Chain and no other information. And so here we got a bit more. We got Osira is, um, has a nephew who is a moron. Uh, <laughs> But apparently she's also watching all the communications. They alluded like Asira knows what's going on here, or at least the threat of knowing what's going on here is enough to keep the nephew in line. And so Asira might know um, Michael is coming now, but it might not. It just, but the possibility is there if Asira wants it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they saw that they had dilithium. And I was surprised how easily the nephew was bluffed. Anybody could show up and said, oh, I have dilithium. But our ship can't be scanned, so you just have to take our word for it. Like, oh, okay, you can land. That that nephew, especially with him like always touching his chest, and he's like, oh, I can't tell you where I keep my secret key. It's right here. He's, yeah, he's not very good at his job. It's a total trope. You just dump, send off your dumb family members to... Who you're, you're? They're in the family. Your sister calls in a favor. Like, can you get him a job? And yeah, I'll put him yep. on this scavenger planet. <laughs> yeah, he has brains or whatever it is that nephews have. <laughs> oh my gosh, Georgiou is the best at trash talking. I love her dialogue. I love it. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of curious. Uh, so we know the nephew is is green. Um, so he must be Orion. Um, I was wondering if Osira is kind of a play off of the Egyptian god Osiris, who had green skin and was the god of afterlife and the death and death and resurrection. I'm wondering if that's kind of symbolic with the burn and everything else that's going on. Well, you know, now that you mention it, I hadn't consciously thought of this. It does feel like everything is going to be tied together. And with the Emerald Chain they're now not just this thing that Starfleet is talking about. They are something that we've seen both in, both in the first episode when Burnham crash landed on that planet. And now here, it makes me suspect that the Emerald chain is in some way responsible for the burn. If not responsible, someone there is tied to it. Right. They know what's going on and they know what happened, even if they didn't do it. But we did get a black box, which is not a black box. I was very disappointed by that, to be honest. (laughs) 
Same, and same. It was it was neither black nor a box. Kind of like Rhode Island is neither a road nor an island. Discuss. But also, how convenient that we find out, oh yeah, Burnham has two other black boxes that she never mentioned to Starfleet. Do you think she would have delivered that as part of her arrival at HQ? Nah, I mean, it's it's like all the junk I have piled up in my closet. Do you want a dot matrix printer? I got dot matrix printers. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to be useful to anybody at Starfleet headquarters. You know, maybe she was just hanging on to them. They're they're up on the shelf next to the the Cheerios and the Captain Crunch, and you know, they, they'll come in handy someday. I mean, uh, right right on that shelf next to the self sealing stem bolts. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's something to be said about keeping your cards close, especially if you're like me and still not sure something's up with these people. So you still don't like this Starfleet? I know we talked about well, that a little bit with the new upgrades, like but... Something feels off. We have not yet seen them make questionable decisions. It's not like they are being overly on the offense with alien races. I mean, we saw them running mercy missions here to deliver food replicators and the like. So they do seem to have their heart in the right place. Yeah, I would agree. I just, and it could be just me looking, you know, deeper, like like things that aren't there, but it just something feels off. And I just wish I had more answers and I don't know what the answers would look like. Well, for me, the three things that I don't like about this new Starfleet are A, their reliance on holograms, B, glasses guy, and C, the Admiral, we understood why he's reasonably suspicious, but he still doesn't really seem to have warmed up to Discovery even after they proved themselves last week. Glasses guy is David Cronenberg. Um, so you can't not have something weird going on. <laughs> I mean, you could say the same about Saru. He's been in some weird movies before as well, that actor. <laughs> oh, my God. We came across one last night. Hell Kitty. What? Yes. He he has to get an exorcist for his cat. Bec- or I guess um, Doug Jones plays the exorcist, I think. <laughs> uh, this guy has to get an exorcist for his cat because it keeps killing his girlfriends. It's a movie that needs riff tracks. <laughs> and I, I think you're making this up. I wish I were. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I will include in the show notes links to Mary Wiseman's husband's Twitter video, the D&D campaign that Paul Stamos is running, and Hell Kitty. That is going to be quite the eclectic collection of links. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> So speaking of Saru, I I know that he we've talked about his walk before on the show, but I don't think I ever fully realized that he's kind of wearing high heels. Oh yeah. His yeah. his closing scene when he's walking away from the camera in this episode, and the the camera was low to the ground, and you could really see that that must be really uncomfortable for the actor. He must have had to work to maintain his balance like that. Uh, I mean, sure, he's used to it now, but I had to take some time. These are like a product you can get for the like, cosplay or whatever. They're more like hooves, and they're hmm. they're um, a mix of like, heels and whatever to make it look like you have joints that you don't have. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. And the way that he has um, – he, he very – I think it's really cool the, the walk that he created that he thinks Saru would have with the arms behind his back. I think it's just so cool. They're so fluid. Oh, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And one of the things that really impressed me this week is I call them high heels, but they're missing like the the back part that you stabilize on. And I'm like, if I was wearing what he's wearing, I would just 
fall right over. <laughs> and again, as to your point, I don't know what it looks like on the inside, so maybe there is a little bit more support there. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> if they're the okay. traditional like hoof boots you can buy. Wow. Cool. And Doug Jones is already six foot four, and then he's wearing those. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so Saru had to make some difficult decisions in this episode. Uh, Michael again went against his orders, something she would not have done except she's had a year to herself to do whatever she wants. And Saru and Tilly had a scene in engineering. First of all, Tilly walks in and she is completely in charge of the situation, telling people what to do. That was awesome. And I want to circle back to that later regarding Saru's decision at the end of the episode. But they had a moment where... Mike, uh, uh, Tilly says, you know, I would have done the same thing. And Saru's like, I don't think you would have. And Saru sa- and Tilly says, you should tell on her. And Saru's like, I thought you were going to talk me out of it. What did you two think about these character interactions? Was it in character for them? Was it disappointing? It shows a maturing of the characters. Let's not forget Tilly is still just an ensign. And this kind of goes back to, again, Ken, some of our discussions when Lower Deck started was, you know, these are young people just starting out in their military careers and getting the the hang of things. And boy, they've been through a lot (laughs) as, as newbies. But um, I think we're starting to see Tilly kind of get why discipline and order and following orders and all that is so important. And I think she's really starting to understand that she's seeing uh, the effects of what Michael's doing by going around orders and disobeying orders. She's seeing that effect, the effects that has on other people. And I think we're seeing Tilly kind of growing up a little bit and stepping into kind of a leadership role. We definitely saw her acting like a leader in engineering. And I think she's starting to get that kind of command mindset that's so important. Those are pretty much my thoughts too. Uh, in a scene just before Saru comes in, it's the same scene. We see Tilly just barking out orders like it's nothing and seems like she does a really good job when when she isn't on the spot. Um, then she gets starts to get nervous. I was still shocked that Tilly did it, even though I'm not surprised that she did it, uh, showing that, you know, she is, like you said, maturing. Um, but I also was like, well, here we go yet again. Tilly was the one who noticed Michael gone, which... You know, it's how it works in Discovery now. Um, <laughs> but also, like, I would take a bet. I, I would, to your point of, like, Michael, this is, like, um, seems to be par for curse for her season where she is disobeying orders. Like, that's been her M.O. since the show began, like, since the very first episode. Officer's been doing this for the entire thing of Star Trek, but this seems to be her driving force, and uh, she's the uh, mariner of Discovery now. Ha! Um, uh, seemed to be trying to sabotage her career, but also, there's something to it where, like, Michael, she still has the same Starfleet ideals, but not in the same way that we've grown accustomed to how they've shown Starfleeters, Starfleeters, um, people <laughs> um, view the Federation and their ideals. Like she's, she has the same ideals, but she looks at it at different angles, so she tries to do it at her angles. And so I'm both annoyed that this is all Michael seems to do is disobey orders, but I also see why and agree with her. Uh, it's There's a lot of feels there. I liked the Admiral's point that maybe Saru should have come to him with the intelligence that Michael had, and they could have made a decision together. You know, that puts some of the blame on Saru as well. Yeah, he's still learning. Uh, which I'd like yeah. to see. 
I mean, he's we get to see him talking to his officers and looking for advice, and we also see him like talking to Michael's like. He doesn't necessarily criticize her, but he criticizes himself and judges himself based on her actions. Mm. The buck stops with him. That's true. And I mean, that's that's one of the first lessons you learn when you get into like a leadership or a management position is, is the buck stops with you. Um, and let's not forget, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, you know, Saru is still new at being a captain. We saw him last season asking the computer for advice and other captains he should emulate. And yeah, he's still trying to figure it all out himself. We're three seasons in, but this is still a a pretty green crew. Well, they're not Orion. Um, (laughs) But uh, I mentioned to Ken before, like all the events of like last, um, the three seasons have more or less happened one after another. This crew has not had time to catch its breath. No, and we're seeing the the effects of that on like Detmer. And uh, while well, we saw it really, you know, every, affecting everybody, Stamets, um, everyone but Linus. Linus seems to just be <laughs> happy Linus. <laughs> and everybody's got to be somewhere. And in Linus's case, he's everywhere. I liked it. I was a very appreciative that he interrupted the kiss scene. <laughs> See, I thought it was just kind of out of place to have him acting as comic relief. And it seems like he's always the one they turn to for comic relief. I really would like to see some more serious moments with him. Um, you know, I, I want to see him fleshed out as a character. He's what, a Beetlejuicean or something? I don't think we've ever had one of those. No, yeah, you're right. No, he is totally the comic relief. Like every scene he's in, they focus on something goofy. Uh, like like either Giorgio hitting on him or him sneezing all over um, the science guy who died at the beginning of season two or this. Like, yeah, he's he's comic relief. He totally is. And, you know, I'd like to have some some t- touching, tender moments with him, too, and a little character growth. Um, yeah, I want to know who he is. And maybe that'll make it easier to laugh, you know, with him when things like this are going on. Although maybe that is his race. Maybe he comes from a planet of comic relief. <laughs> you know, it's possible. I mean, we wouldn't yeah. want a character to defy their traditions just to satisfy the viewers. <laughs> I did like, speaking of minor characters, that we got to see a little bit more of Nelson on the bridge because she was the one who was there when Grudge's call came in. Yeah, they're setting her up to be in the new number one. Well, that's what I was wondering about, because and this goes back to Saru's decision at the end. He demoted Burnham to chief science officer, which kind of reminds me of when Kirk was demoted from admiral to captain. I was like, why not put somebody where they are best? Chief science officer sounds perfect for Burnham. I mean, I think that already was her role, and she's also number one. So now it's just putting her, uh, reducing her responsibilities. So now she can run off more. (laughs) Right. And nothing that Saru said or did is going to stop her from doing what she did this episode. But it does make me wonder. So, okay. So that's a good point you just had that she was already chief science officer, because if that wasn't the case, I was wondering whoever was the chief science officer just got demoted to make room for Burnham. (laughs) And that's not fair. And, And, but regardless, it does raise the question who is going to be the next number one. And Nelson is one choice. Uh, one of you put in the notes, maybe it would be Tilly because she was so authoritative in engineering this week. Yeah, she was authoritative and she's definitely gotten Saru's trust. Um, I think there's, there's a very real chance, although she's an ensign, I think she's really stepping up. 
And we don't know who else is on this crew, right? We only see just a small fraction of of the ship's crew. Um, I don't know who else is in the running, but I definitely think Tilly has shown a lot of growth. And I think she could definitely be the next number one if if uh, Saru chose her. Because when this show started, she was a cadet, and then she moved up to Ensign. There's still a lot of ranks between that, though. Like, uh, I don't know, Lieutenant Commander and Commander? Probably some other things I'm forgetting. Lieutenant. There you go. (laughs) Lieutenant, Lieutenant Commander, Commander. And she was a captain in the Mirror Universe. And we have seen her embody that character when in the Mirror Universe. So I think there is potential there. I don't think she's there yet, though. I definitely think they have something in mind for her character, though. They've made it very explicit that she's showing leadership qualities. And I'm kind of curious what they're going to do with that. Well, I hope we have another four seasons after this one to find out. (laughs) What else came up in this episode that we would like to chat about? We have another five to ten minutes in this week's show. Uh, I mean, Book, we saw him. He's grown up a bit since he first came on the scene, quote unquote, a year ago. His neck out on the line to help everyone in that um, uh, was an indentured servant uh, scavenging base. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, like, but here, he, before, when he, we first saw him, he was all for himself and even threw Michael to the dogs. And now here he is uh, helping people. Yeah, I, although I, this goes back to their kiss, which was, I suspect in the year that they were together before Discovery showed up, that they had a lot of close calls. It was this week where she thought she might lose him. That finally prompted them to express their emotions to each other. I wonder, I I guess it's just a matter of time. Uh, Maybe the time apart made her realize how much she misses him. And I wonder if he is going to go back to doing his own thing like he did for the last two episodes, or if now he's going to bum around the universe on a Federation starship. I would agree. I I just don't know where it's going to go. I'm guessing he's a major character. He's going to be with them for a bit or hang out near them or always be on call as the episode will will require. I like the idea of him being on call. <laughs> Maybe he'll just he'll just they'll just send him out in his own little ship. But by the way, at the end of the episode when they saved him, there were two ships departing the planet. One was of course books. I couldn't quite figure out what the other ship was. Did I miss something? Uh, that was the one where all the other people ran to. They kept pointing the camera to it a few times. Um so ev- oh. went to his ship, everyone else went to the other transport. I it looks like the troop you. transport ships from Star Wars. <laughs> the ones from Empire Strikes Back. It, it was like a Star Trek version of that. Um, and I guess there's only so many ways to do a troop transport spaceship, but that's what it reminded me of. They did say they were escaping on a transport ship. For some reason, I thought they were referring to Book's ship. And I was wondering how come they beamed aboard Rin only and nobody else. So that explains it. Thank you. I did miss something. But then where did that ship come from? Was that the transport ship from the shift change? Yeah. In which case, how did they know they were supposed to be helping everybody escape? I mean, what was, was there a mutiny on board? There's a lot of... I have a lot of questions about this. Well, I'm guessing this wasn't piloted yet. Book had mentioned the ship earlier. He said, we have 42 minutes before I got to get on that ship and I'll be stuck in orbit for a few weeks. And so we don't know if it was piloted or someone's going to get there later. We, I mean, we just kind of fill in the gaps. Like, apparently not, or they overcame the crew. I mean, those people are all spacefarers, or at least someone there likely can fly it. So what we're saying is that Burnham's arrival was very well-timed. Yes. Perfectly, yes. <laughs> well, And you know what that- happened is Grudge set this all up ahead of time. Yep. Uh, in that, that period, you know, when, when we didn't know what she was up to, she put all the 
the pieces in motion <laughs> with her, her telekinetic powers. Okay, okay. I got a new theory here. Grudge caused the burn. It all comes back to grudge. If they look at those black boxes, the epicenter, the point of origin for the burn was grudge. You're talking her gravitational pull? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that too. I loved Georgiou's trash talk about the cat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. That was priceless. Everyone has comments on her. I, I got to ask though, because I'm always trying to be a more sensitive person. Is it inappropriate to fat shame an animal? Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think we have time to discuss that. But I, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I, I will say it's appropriate to fat animal shame the owner. But yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily good to to blame the animal. They'll they'll eat food if you put it in front of them, especially sure, yummy food. And you know, Book had left Grudge alone in that ship while he was off being an indentured servant. So she had to make do. She was probably just replicating all of the food she wanted. Yeah. So I know there are probably other things that came up in this episode, but we are short on time this week. We have other commitments we need to honor and respect. So I think we'll wrap up here. Is that all right? I got rapid fire. I have one ready. Do it. Uh, Giorgio, the, the cinematography, awesome. We had a bunch of mirror shots for her again. Uh, we heard the Bourgeois exchange. You mean Canadian tire? Yes. Bourgeois exchange. <laughs> and uh, Discovery has been upgraded to the Discovery A. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. Huh. I still got to wonder how those detachment cells work and why it's better. Yeah, uh, space. It's just like Voyager's folding warp engines. It's like allegedly better, like whatever. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of that. Uh, was it, what was the Voyager episode where the doctor went back to the Alpha Quadrant and there was that Starfleet ship that split into three parts? Yes, the Prometheus. Yeah. I just want to see the Discovery's nacelles, like, warping all around by themselves. <laughs> they just leave without the ship. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like some sort of a comic joke where they go into warp and the ship doesn't move. Yeah, it'd be like but the, the nacelles do. Reverse of the Star Trek 2009 joke where the emergency break. <laughs> I love that. That's oh. right. All right. Anything else from you, Dana? Yes, I would like to actually wrap up, and I think this is a good bookend to this episode, as it is... As it kind of fits with the the ending of the, the Trek episode, the Discovery episode. And I would like to end on a quote from the best Star Trek series ever, the Orville, the episode Command Performance, where Alara is put into the command seat for the first time and has to make a decision whether to follow orders and return to Earth or disobey orders and rescue Ed and Kelly from the alien zoo. Um, and, uh, Dr. Finn, uh, said, gives her this big, long speech, but she says, this is command. You have a choice, follow orders and accept that the crew will hate you for it or disobey orders and go after our people. But if you take that kind of risk and you're wrong, it could destroy your career or worse. And I feel like that sums up Michael's predicament and it sums up Saru's speech to her at the end of the episode as well. And even to the extent what the Admiral was saying to the two of them, you know, lives were saved, but she disobeyed an order and there's a, there's a cost to it. Yeah. And we'll see Burnham continue to make the hard decisions while she continues to 
explore the origins of the burn, which is not a priority for Starfleet and the Federation, but is for her. So we will look forward to seeing how those decisions play out and whether or not they are the right decisions. And we'll be here to review them. Until next time. Hit it and hope these engines stay attached to the ship. (laughs) If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com.